Our sermon this week from Genesis chapter 15, Righteousness by Faith. This is a very important topic, a topic that has been discussed for many years by many theologians. Um, some ways very difficult when they get into the theological terms. By God's grace, I'm going to try and break it down and make it simple uh, because that's about all I can do. So we'll see how this goes. Anyway, start with this Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. So with those first words, after these things, connects us to the things that happened just prior to this chapter. And so in chapter 14, so before we get into the righteous by faith, uh, we'll discuss a little bit of what led up to this point. So in chapter 14, if we covered in past weeks, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and several other cities were attacked by several other cities, and they lost, and thus Lot and the other people and the possessions were taken captive. Word comes to Abraham about Lot. Abraham uh, bravely and courageously and by faith gathers his servants with him and some friends and their uh, servants and go and all the way up to the northernmost portion of ancient Israel um, to the city of Dan. Probably wasn't called Dan in Abraham's day. It wasn't part of Israel. It didn't exist yet as a nation. Uh, but all the way up to that city and attacks them and chases them all the way to Damascus and wins the battle and wins the victory and delivers Lot and the other captives and the possessions and then comes back, meets Melchizedek and Melchizedek blesses him. He also meets the king of Sodom who uh, very generously says, you can keep the possessions, which of course I'm uh, being sarcastic there because it wasn't the king of Sodom's to give to Abraham. Now Abraham, the conqueror, it's his, right? But, uh, and so Abraham says, no, you can have it. <laughs> I'm not gonna let you say that you made me rich. And so then Abraham goes back to his tent and that brings us to chapter 15. So after those things, God says to him, do not be afraid. Now, why would God say to him, do not be afraid? He just went, mighty warrior, go and conquer these several nations who defeated several nations and who had defeated several nations before that, who were on a war rampage. You went and defeated them, just you and your servants. Well, no doubt, Abraham's back in his tent and he's thinking, they may have some friends. <laughs> who want to retaliate for me going and winning that battle. And I'm not in a walled city. I don't have a nation. I don't have an army. I'm sleeping here in this tent with my, I'm aged and my wife is aged and they may come back to get me. They may not be happy about this. And God comes to him and assures him, do not be afraid. I am your shield. And maybe Abraham was having second doubts about giving all those spoils back to Sodom and the others, Gomorrah and the other cities. And God knows his heart, knows his fears, knows his anxiety, and says, do not worry. I am 
your exceedingly great reward. I will reward you above all that you can ask or think. I will meet your every need. I will give you more than all the spoils of all the cities if necessary. I will take care of you. I am your exceedingly great reward. I think it's beautiful that God comes to him. Abraham's not even voicing anything, but God knows his heart. God knows his fears. God knows his worries. And God comes and speaks to his very need in his time of need. God is wonderful. He's very loving. And if he did that for Abraham, he does that for you and me. He knows our fears. He knows what we're going through. He knows your situation and what you're experiencing right now today. Real fears, imaginary fears, possibilities, whether health concerns or issues with your neighbors or your boss or your employees or your uh, landlords or your neighbors or your uh, tenants, or whatever you're dealing with. Whatever fear you might have, someone wanting to retaliate you against you, someone threatening to sue you or in the midst of a lawsuit against you, do not be afraid. God is there. God knows the situation. Maybe you stood for the right. You spoke up for right. Maybe you have a bumper sticker or something that proclaims some truth and some people don't like it. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Better be on the Lord's side, standing for truth, proclaiming truth. Maybe you have sacrificed, maybe you have given up, maybe you have given over and above. Maybe Satan is coming and tempting you and thinking you're now not going to have enough. Maybe you let someone else go first, like Abraham let Lot choose first, and they took the biggest piece or the biggest thing, or the best. And Satan is now bringing to your mind, oh, now you're not going to have enough. You're not going to make it. Or you put God first and Satan's tempting you. God knows our concerns. God knows our needs. And he'll provide for every need according to his riches and his glory. He is our exceedingly great reward. And with him as our shield and him as our reward, we don't need anything else, do we? We don't need anything else. Now, he might use things. He might use police forces. He might use armies to protect us, but it's still God who's in it. He might give you wisdom. He might give you locks on your doors to help protect you. But it's still God who is our great shield. He may use jobs, employees, other things to help provide for our needs, but it is God who is our exceedingly great reward, which goes long beyond this earth and the stuff in it. All the stuff will all pass away. All the enemies that, of the devil that taunt us and try us and threaten us, they'll all be gone. They'll all be judged. They'll all be destroyed. In the big picture of things, in the long game, God always wins. He wins in the here and now. Even if it seems like some setbacks at times, in the end, God wins. Here now and for eternity. 
So if you're experiencing any fears or any worries or any cares, before we even go on to righteousness by faith, although this is a part of it, surrender it to the Lord, give it over to him, trust in him. Leave it all, let him accept his promises and believe in him. Amen. Verse 2, but Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Wow. If the God just says, I'm a more than enough. <laughs> I am your seemingly great reward. I am your shield. Don't worry about anything. But and then Abraham goes, yeah, but you still haven't given me a kid yet. <laughs> Where does he get on with that, right? After God just gives him this wonderful victory, you know, obviously it wasn't Abraham and his servants who won that battle. It was God in there winning the battle through them. And uh, he says, yeah, but you still haven't given me my, the thing I really want. You still haven't given me a kid yet. You still haven't given me a boy. You still haven't given me an heir. And, uh, and yeah, God zapped him, and that was the end of Abraham, right? Now, God is very loving, and he doesn't mind when we're real with him. You know, so express your fears to him, express your doubts to him, express your cares to him, express your wants. You can let him know. He won't get offended. He might tell you no. <laughs> you know, you're not getting that thing you want or whatever. Or he might tell you, not now or whatever, but be real with him. Don't be in denial. Don't try and hide it. Abraham was just open with him. Abraham had become his friend. Friend of God. God was his friend. We should be able to talk to God as a friend with a friend. Develop that experience with him, talking with him, communing with him. And so God responded to him, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them so shall your descendants be. So God wasn't offended. God didn't get his feelings hurt. God didn't say, well, hey, I already told you I'm more than enough, and now you want something else. Didn't I already tell you I'm going to provide for you? No, he didn't, he didn't get upset. He just took him outside and said, look, things are bigger than you think. I'm over all the universe. Look at all the stars. You try and count them, Abraham. And like he does to Job. Right? You count them. I'm going to give you more descendants than all these stars in the heavens. Don't worry. And we covered that, how that is fulfilled <laughs> in other past sermons. And again, you can see that on shalomadventure.com. More than the sands of the sea, more than the stars of heaven. So he takes them out and says, no, I promised you I will come through. Don't worry. Just reestablishes the promise with him. Verse 6, and Abraham believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So he didn't believe at first, I'll be your exceedingly great reward. But then God gives him the promise again, and then he believed, and God accounted it to him for righteousness. And it's from this where we get this righteousness by faith. He believed, and thus he was accounted as righteous. 
Now that word accounted or righteous, that's a, an accounting term, right? That's where we get the word accounting, right? And so when you have to do accounting, accounting is math, or it has to do with math and mathematics, and math is, uh, is very factual, right? There's no wiggle room, there's no bending, right? You got two apples, you add two more apples, and you got four apples, right? That's how it is, right? Two plus two is four. That's how it is, you know, unless you're in an alternative universe and you want to be in denial and you want to, you know, deny reality, uh, which a lot of people today seem to think is okay and want to do. Uh, but uh, mathematically, you can't do it, right? It's accounting. accounting. You, you, you can't go to your accountant and uh, say, well, fudge this and change this and manipulate this and make it look like I made more or I made less so my taxes will be less. Any honest accountant, a smart accountant, would say, I'm not going to do that and put my signature on your tax return. You can do your own taxes if you want to do that kind of stuff. Uh, but I'm not messing with that because the numbers are numbers, the facts are facts, the receipts have to match up, the, the pay stubs have to match up. I have to show you, I have to show it, get audited, and the facts are the facts. So when the Bible says it accounted it to Abraham, for righteousness, it was not a pretend righteousness. The accountant can't say that you have this much in the, your bank account when you don't have that much in your bank account. Right? It has to say what's actually there. And so when it says God accounted it for righteousness, it meant that Abraham had actual righteousness. He didn't just say, well, just Let's pretend, yeah, Abraham, we know you're weak. Yeah, you got your faults. But we're just going to pretend like you're righteous. And that's how a lot of people interpret righteousness by faith. It's really just kind of this have faith, more of kind of like a hope, kind of like an imagination. Let's just imagine. I think faith is an imagination. Let's just imagine that you're righteous. You're really not righteous, but just imagine that you're righteous. That's not accounting for righteousness. That's not righteousness by faith. Faith believes truth. Faith does not believe fairy tales. God is not into fairy tales. When God says it, and God says he accounted it for righteousness, then Abraham was righteous. And we have a adjoining text with this in the book of James. James chapter 2, verse 23, that says, The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. So it's credited to him. Well, credit is also crediting term, and so it's just here basically quoting from, from Genesis, just using a little different word there. Accounting, credited. Again, it has to be factual. Right? So if you uh, return something in the store or something happens and they give you store credit, right? and they maybe give you a little card or something that now you have store credit on. They say, let's say you have $150 of store credit. Right? And so you go and you pick out $150 worth of items from the store and you go to the cash register and they, you try and slide it through and it says, you don't have $150 here, what, are you kidding? You're dead broke. That's nothing. It was just, you have nothing there. It was just kind of a pretended credit. We just made you feel good 
We just made, told you that you had $150, but you really don't have $150. You don't, you're not really righteous. We just want you to feel like you're righteous. We just wanted you to believe that you're righteous, but you're really not righteous. You really don't have $150 there. No, that's not credited. Right? Credited is a fact. Accounted is a fact. And so you go and you pick up the $150 worth of items, and you go and you put the card in, and it lets you buy them. Because you have that credit to your account. That's what it's saying here. That Abraham was given this righteousness as a result of him believing in God's promises. And thus, he was righteous. And what is the result of that? Let's look at another Bible text. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Where he was going. So righteousness by faith then obeys. And so we have obeying here, we have him obeying in other areas. When he is told to circumcise, he also believed and it's counted to him for righteousness. And then he goes and, and, and is counted righteous before he circumcised, but then he goes and circumcises himself and his servants and his sons. If he would have said no at that point, said no, I'm not going to circumcise her, we still be accounted righteous? No. So true righteousness then is played out in the life and obeys. Romans 1.16 The gospel of Messiah is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So Paul, in writing Romans, is quoting from Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith. So it says the, it's the gospel, it, and the gospel is the power of God. It's not a pretend of God. It's the power of God that leads to salvation. It's the righteousness of God to those who believe Thus, faith, have faith in God, believe in God, and then it's lived out by faith. This is a friend of mine, uh, Brian Wilson, and we went to college together. And the picture on the left there, top left, uh, is from our college yearbook. And that's what he looked like back when I first met him. And, uh, and then in the middle is a picture of his family. A few years after that, he got married to lovely lady Duane, and they had two uh, beautiful young children. Those children are now all grown up. Uh, this is over 30 years ago. And they went as missionaries to Thailand. And uh, they sent us this magnet at the beginning, and we still that's a picture of the magnet on our refrigerator. It's gone through several refrigerators, but the magnet's still the same. And then on the right is a picture of them today. And they're still missionaries in Thailand. I have gone through various different aspects of mission there. Uh, Brian's been used to translate portions of the Bible and other books uh, into the Thai language and helping 
uh, various different people groups, and uh, has been used by the Lord in winning people for God's kingdom. So I bring him up because when we were there in college, we were in the same dorm, and his room was right across from my room, and I was visiting over in his dorm room one day, and I had been thinking about this righteous by faith. I've been hearing about it and trying to understand it, and it wasn't making sense to me, and I didn't understand it at all. And I brought that up to Brian, and, uh, and he pointed to a framed thing he had on his wall, a, a quote that he had on his wall. And I took a look at it, and this is what it said. The righteousness by which we are justified is imputed. The righteousness by which we are sanctified is imparted. The first is our title to heaven. The second is our fitness for heaven. I said, oh, that's wonderful, Brian. I don't understand a word that's there. <laughs> I don't understand what righteousness is. I don't understand what justified is. I don't understand what imputed is. I don't understand what sanctified is. I don't understand what imparted is. What does this phrase fitness for heaven mean? What does this mean title to heaven? I don't understand any of this. And Brian was taken aback. I guess I scared him maybe a little bit. <laughs> so, and he didn't know what to say. <laughs> he didn't say anything, which just frustrated me even more. And so I walked out. But, uh, but that began my study into what is this righteous by faith? And so read throughout the Bible and studying this and praying about this and several other great books on the topic. And so let's take this apart and to help us understand righteousness by faith. So in breaking it down, this makes it a little easier to see anyway. Righteousness by which we are justified is imputed. The righteousness by which we are sanctified is imparted. The first is our title to heaven. The second is our fitness for heaven. And so now if we take what says is the first part and put it with the first part and the second part that's with the second part and put it with the second part, it then looks like this, right? So the righteousness by which we are justified is imputed. It is our title to heaven. The righteousness by which we are sanctified is imparted. It is our fitness for heaven. Okay, still not make any sense at all. Uh, so we'll try and break it down some more. Okay, so let's just take one part at a time and look at it verse, word by word, basically. Okay, so we have righteousness, the righteousness. And so this righteousness in this section is a declared righteousness. Abraham was just declared righteous. Abraham believed and God said, you're righteous. <laughs> That's a declared righteousness. God just declared it, he accounted it, he credited it to him. You are righteous, right? So just a declared Righteousness, and that's what we saw in the text with Abraham. By which we are justified. So this is justified. Justified means just as if we never sinned. Justified. Just as if we never sinned. And again, that's not a pretended justification. Again, that's how a lot of people teach it. You don't really not as if you never sinned, but we're just going to pretend that you're just as if you never sinned. No, God declares us justified. Really just as if you never sinned. Your life is if you just had never, ever sinned. Well, how does that happen? How does it become that we are just as if we never sinned? Not even pretending, but in reality, that our life as if we had never sinned before in our life 
How on earth can that happen? It is imputed to us. It was put on our record, right? So imputed, that's how it's pronounced, but that's because the English language is stupid. It should be inputted <laughs> because it is put on us, right? So it is put upon our record, right? Uh, it's been inputted into us, right? So we are just as if we never sinned and that was put onto our record. Not by anything that we have done, but is by something that God did in our behalf before we were born. And what did God do in our behalf before we were born? That justifies us, that makes us just as if we'd never sinned? He gave us his son. That's right. And when did he give us his son? From the foundation of the world. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So not only before you or I were, were born, but before Adam and Eve were created, God had the plan of salvation in place. And so God did this work of imputing righteousness upon us, making it so that we could be without, as if we had never sinned, without our permission. We weren't born to give approval to that. God just does it. He went and died for the sins of the world. And thus, all who believe benefit from it. So it's this imputed righteousness, and thus we are just as if we never sinned because of what God did in our behalf. He died not just for the sins, kind of this is metaphorical, imaginary sin, but he took us into himself, and thus we poisoned him, we killed him with our sinful carnal nature and desires, and then he dies. And us inside him then dies as well. And if we're, die, if we're dead, then our record is blotted out. And so he blots out our sins. He didn't just cover our sins. He blots them out and removes the sins Thus, they are no longer on our record. Thus, our record is just as if we never sinned. Right? They do that sometimes for prisoners. Um, they're released for whatever reason. Maybe they because they were young uh, when they committed the crime or, or uh, receive a, a government or presidential pardon. And thus, their record as if they never committed the crime. Just sponged. Took a sponge and blotted it out took it out, removed it, not just covered it, but removed it. And that's what God does for us in what Yeshua did for us, dying for us. It is removed from us. If you're driving down the road and a little light shows up that uh, says your, the oil light comes on, right? what does that mean? It means you're an idiot. Right? That's what it means. So it's called an idiot light because you should have been checking your oil, and by that time, it's too late. But nonetheless, anyway, so the light comes on, means you have not enough oil in, in your crankcase anymore, right? So what do you do? You take a little piece of black tape, electrical tape, and you tape it over your glass, right? And now you don't see the light anymore. Problem solved, right? Is that problem solved? No. You keep on driving like that, you'll end up with a, a burnt-out engine, right? 
But that's how many teach justification. That God just kind of covers it, just kind of pretends that the sins are not there anymore. Yeah, you're still a sinner. Yeah, you're going to continue to make mistakes, but God counts you as righteous. No, that's not what we're talking about here. God deals with the problem, fills up the crankcase, and now the problem is, as long as he didn't do any damage by having low oil, as if he never had no low oil. As if he never sinned. That's what he does. Totally removes the sinful past. It's gone. You sinned yesterday, confess it today, ask him about it tomorrow, he'll say, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't see anything there. There's nothing on the record there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It is removed from us. So his justification, his righteousness is imputed to us because of what God did before we were born. Right? And then we have, so this is the title to heaven. What does that mean? It is the key to the door of heaven, right? What's a title? Right? When you buy a house or you buy a car and you get the title, can you drive the car with the title? No. You get the key, right? Can you get in the house with just a piece of paper? No. You get a key, right? And then the key unlocks the door. But you have the title, which means it's now yours, and so that the, it gives us our entrance yes. into heaven. Not because of what we did, not by obeying the law, not by being good, not by trying hard, not by being a good person, by what Yeshua did in our behalf before we were born, before the earth was created, that gives us our title, our entrance, our key to heaven, our allowance to heaven, our right to heaven. You have the title, you have the right to the car, you have the right to the, to the house. It's yours now. The title is in your name. God has given us the title. Now you can have the title, right? They, they can sign the car over for you. You can get in a will, the house, whatever. They can give you the title. It's in your name. But if you don't ever take that key and go over to that door and turn it, do you ever get to drive that car? Do you ever get to live in that house? No. So even though God has already given it to us before we were born and given it to everyone in the world, not everyone's going to benefit from it. But to all who believe, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation because of what he has already done in our behalf, giving us the keys to heaven, the title to heaven, the entrance to heaven. And so by believing, and where do we get this ability to believe? I mean, is that something where we get earned credit because we believed? Where does faith come from? God has given to everyone a measure of faith. So even if we believe, God gave us the ability to believe. Yes, yes. And if we don't have enough faith to believe, what does the Bible tell us to do? Ask for it, and God will give it to us. Right? So again, it's all him. Right? So he's promised it ahead of time. He's given it to us ahead of time. He gives us the ability to believe in what he has already done. And we need more. He gives us more. And then he credits it to us as righteousness. It counts it as fact. You're righteous before God. Pure before God. No sin on your record. Nothing there. 
No wrong ever done as far as God's concerned. Justified. Just as if you never sinned. Fact. That's life transforming in itself right there. That's liberating right there. That leaves the, releases the whole burden off our backs. The guilt off our backs for what Yeshua has done. But it doesn't end there. And unfortunately, even those who might get this part right, not a pretended righteousness, but a real righteousness, a real justification, they often stop right there. But it doesn't stop right there. God is even better than that. That's partial good news, but the full good news, the full gospel, continues. So let's go to, well, looking at that Bible text, so we see how that Bible text on Abraham, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness, and he was called God's friend, right? So he believed, he had faith, he's justified, it's credited to him, he's declared it, it's imputed to him, he's righteous, and he's called God's friend, and if you're God's friend, then you can come and live in his house. Okay, so now let's look at the second part. The righteousness by which we are sanctified is imparted. It is our fitness for heaven. Okay, so we'll do the same thing, take this apart word by word. The righteousness here is not a declared righteousness. What it's talking about here is the power to do what is right. right? That's righteousness, right? Doing what is right. right? So not only declared right, but now empowered to do right. It's one thing to have the car. It's another thing to know how to drive. Right? So he gives us the title and then empowers us to be able to do it. Puts gas in the tank. The power to do right. Sanctified by being set apart for holy use to do what is right. So sanctified, set apart. Holy use. For the purpose of doing right. And thus, this is imparted to us. Different than imputed. Imputed is just put upon you, but imparted is given to us. Is given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, only with our permission, so that we live here on earth as we will in heaven. So he imparts this power to us, the power of God unto salvation. God imparts that power through the Holy Spirit, which then gives us the ability to live right lives. But again, only with our permission. Here and now. Living here on earth. So again, the justification, the righteousness, the declared righteousness was done by God before us, without us. The sanctifying is only done with our permission. Then we can say, no, I don't want to enter into the house. Say, no, I don't want to drive the car. And then we don't get the benefit of it. Or we can be given the car and we can say, no, I don't want to take any driving lessons. I'm just going to wing it. I don't know what a brake is. I don't know what a gas pedal is. Uh, I don't know what these signs mean. I don't care. I'm just going to drive down the road and I'm going to just try it on my own. I don't need a driver's license. I'm just going to go for it. No, he gives to us the power, the gasoline, the education, the ability to do it and to do it right. But we need 
He only does it with our permission. Gives us the ability to refuse it. We can refuse the justification just by denying it, but it's still there. But the sanctification, the power to do it, won't be there unless we allow it. So that we live here on earth as we will in heaven. And that's the fitness for heaven. Being fit, being in shape, to be able to be like we will be in heaven. And God wants to do that here and now. Again, a lot of people teach that we'll all of a sudden change. Yes, we'll be changed in a moment. The mortal will put on immortality, but the carnal won't put on a holiness at that point. The carnal puts on holiness now, here and now. Death won't change that. Resurrection won't change that. Resurrection changed the, 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 the carnal body, but not the carnal soul. It is here and now, through the death of Messiah, that we accept his power to change our hearts. Give us new hearts, new minds, now. Transforming us, changing us, living in us and through us. That makes us fit for heaven. That grows us up for heaven. Again, a person can have a will, and uh, let's say they, they have a, a daughter, and the daughter becomes pregnant, and so they put into their will that they want their grandchild to inherit whatever. Let's say when the, when the child reaches 30 years of age, I want them to have this money that I'm going to put in this trust, and when they're 30 years of age, they get this money to go and buy whatever car they want. And then before the child's even born, my grandfather dies. It's in the will. So now it's guaranteed there. That's justified. It was put there before the child was even born. It's given to the child. The child becomes 30 years of age, told he has this car, refuses it. Then he doesn't believe in it. I never saw this grandfather of mine that they talked about. They said he was real generous. I don't believe it. He doesn't receive the justification. Or let's say he does believe it, and they give him the car. But he doesn't take any driving lessons, goes, shoots out, crashes into the first tree on the road. He totals the car and dies. Right? Was he fit for that car? Was he prepared for that car? Did he benefit from that car? No. So there's two parts of this salvation. God, what he does again before we were born, and what he does in us now saving us from our past mistakes, our past wrongs, our past sins, and saving us in the current and into the future from continuing in sin. Some people just care about the past. Oh, it's just forgiven. Even bumper stickers. You know, believers are not, saved, are not perfect, they're just forgiven. Where did they get that from? Yeshua said, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. He declares us righteous. You never sinned as far as he's concerned. And then he declares us sanctified. He imparts to us sanctification. He gives us the power then to do what is right. It is the power of God onto salvation so that we can live holy lives, so that we can be recreated back into God's image. That's the power of God. Now, anyone can pretend past sins are, wrong, are gone. 
but the power of God to change the heart, to change the mind, to change the soul. That is where the real power is. That is where the real gospel is, the full gospel. And so again, we see all of this in the Bible text. When called to go to a place he would receive as his inheritance, Abraham obeyed and went. So full righteousness will then be worked out in life here and now, in obedience. Not obedience first, trying to earn the salvation, but God declares us righteous, imputes that into our lives, and then he sends us the Holy Spirit and imparts to us the power to live obedient lives. So there are two forms of righteousness, a declared righteousness that justifies us, just as if you were never sinned, and then being made righteous, sanctified, which then lives out the Holy Spirit, then lives out the holiness in us and through us. Two parts of the righteousness, two parts of the salvation. Saved from past sins and saved from temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Just the real bad ones? Just the ones that society says is bad? Or from all sin? All sin. He's able to deliver us and set us free. So these two forms of righteousness, two parts of salvation, justification, just as if we never sinned, based on what Yeshua did for us on the cross before we were born without our permission. The sanctification is being set apart for holy use to do what is right by the power of the Holy Spirit lived out in our lives here and now only with our permission. Does that help to break it down and make sense? Simplifying these theological terms. Okay, so Philippians 3, 8. I count all things loss, that I may gain Messiah and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Messiah, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And then again, Habakkuk 2, 4 in Romans 117, the just shall live by faith. So again, here we have the two parts. Justification, not our own righteousness, not our own good deeds, not our own trying to undo the mistakes of our past by doing what is right, by obeying the law, kind of like Paul or, or the uh, young man who came to Yeshua and said, I did all those things since my youth. Not a, our own works by obeying the law, <laughs> but a declared righteousness by what God did in our behalf. But that also does lead us to then obey the law because the just will live by faith. It will be lived out in our lives, in our daily lives, moment by moment, day by day. Moving forward. So justification is this declared righteousness, what Yeshua did for us, blotting out our sins before we were born without our permission, but accepted by faith. Sanctification is being made righteous by what the Holy Spirit does in us, causing us to live holy, righteous lives, here and now, only with our permission, 
but accepted by faith. So both sides are by faith, and both sides are by the power of God. We're forgiven by the power of God, and we're empowered by the power of God. Both are his work. Both are accepted by faith. One he did before we were born, the other one he does while we're alive and here. So again, some people just want to focus on the justification, just forgiven, even though it's more than just forgiven. It's forgiven and blotted out. Others kind of want to focus on the sanctification, just trying to do what is right in their own power, in their own righteousness, trying to obey the law, to try and justify themselves, make them just before God, and that's not right. That's what Paul was attacking a lot. But the truth is the balance of both. Justification and sanctification, working together in harmony, setting us free from the guilt of the past, and giving us hope and power and faith and obedience now and into the future. That's the fullness of the gospel, which then gets us the ability to walk right into heaven. The title to heaven, the keys to heaven, walking right in by his power. Because we're then living in harmony with heaven. If God brought to heaven someone who wasn't living in harmony with heaven, would they be happy? If you took someone who's used to living a godly life, who loves God, loves to read God's word, filled with the Holy Spirit, soaking that in, loving him, singing him praises, loving to tell him to others, having a sanctified mind, holy by God's spirit, and you place them and you put them into a horrible worldly um, situation where there's uh, cursing and debasement and lewdness and, and uh, pornography and vileness and crime, will they be happy there? No. That would repulse the soul, right? And the same the other way. We take someone who's accustomed to doing evil and try and force them to enjoy singing hymns and praising God and think that they won't be happy either, right? God has to change the heart, right? Leopard can't change his skins, but God can do it. It's the power of God that transforms the heart and mind and changes us and changes us here and now so that we're living like we're in heaven. So we can just walk right into heaven. That's the power of God. That's the fullness of the gospel. That is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. So James 2, 23, the text we looked at in the beginning, Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend, justified. In Hebrews eleven eight, by faith, Abraham obeyed and went. Obedience, sanctification. That's what God wants to do in our lives here and now, today. And it's powerful. It's very powerful. It's very liberating. It's liberating from those who are bowed down with the burden of guilt from the past. It's very liberating from those who are trying to be good in their own strength. It's God who does it all. God has already forgiven us. We're cleansed, declared righteous. And the power of the Holy Spirit is right here for us. 
to handle any worry, any fear, any anxiety, gain victory over any temptation. It's all at our disposal for our receiving by faith. And if we don't have enough faith to receive that good news, it's too good to believe, and ask God to give us more faith and wisdom to understand. And God will give generously to all who ask. And so, in a moment, as we prepare to pray, if still not making sense, then I encourage you to pray. Ask God to help your mind to understand this, your soul to grasp it, and your heart to believe it, and your body to live it out. And God will continue to lead and guide and direct you. Help you to understand this more and more. Secondly, if maybe you've had a faith that believes in this imaginary justification, this kind of imagined goodness, imagined forgiveness, but not a real forgiveness. Not believing that you're really righteous before God because of what he did. Satan is still tempting you, oh, you're imperfect, you're, you're weak. You're faulty. You're going to continue to make mistakes. You've blown in the past. Satan's continually tempting you, bringing up past stuff. Declare it as forgiven because of the blood of the Lamb. And confess anything that hasn't been confessed. And accept his forgiveness. And accept and blot it out. And that now your account is if you never sinned. Carnal nature killed. The carnal nature destroyed evil propensities of the heart, evil desires removed, the habits broken, the desires changed. Accept that in a moment when we pray. Third, if you've been trying in your own strength to be obedient, trying to sanctify yourself, trying to, you're working really hard at being good, stop trying and accept by faith God's power. Accept the Holy Spirit. God's laws are not burdensome. It's the Holy Spirit living them in and out of us. They are a joy. Oh, how I love your law. It is my joy all day long, as David said. And to embrace it with joy. Allow the Holy Spirit to live it out of you. Imparting to you the power to do it. In mind and in heart. With attitude and action. And so you've been struggling with some sin, struggling, give it over to the Lord and accept his power imparted to you. Accept his righteousness to give you the ability to do it, to do what is right by his power. Change the thinking, change the mind, change the actions by God's power. Thirdly, if you're excited about this, in a moment when we pray, just praise the Lord. Yes. I mean, this is what set the Reformation. This is what excited Luther, and more than, I believe it's more than Luther fully understood. And it set him so powerful that he went and spoke to the powers of be. The righteousness by faith that God has given to us. That the sins are removed and gone. It's removed, right? If, if you came in here tonight and let's say you had some debts, a lot of debts, say you had 
credit card debts all maxed out, and you were sued and piled up debts, and your house was in foreclosure, you had a medical situation, you're starting to receive these medical bills way beyond you could pay even if you lived a hundred lifetimes. And you come in here with this burden of debt on you. And someone who actually has the means, volunteers, pays it all. Right then and there. Pays it all. It's all gone. The house is all paid off now. The car is all paid off now. Credit cards are all zeroed out now. The hospital bills are all paid. It's gone. It's all gone. Would you not jump for joy? Would you not go and tell everybody? Or would you go, oh, I have all these debts. Oh, I got all these debts. Oh, I'm dead. Oh, you'd be liberated. You'd be set free. That's what God has done. And more than that. Then he, this person takes you, trains you into some position in their corporation, in some high position, gives you a salary, benefits, equipment to do the job, trucks, the means, whatever is needed to do the job, empowers you to do the job educationally and functionally, staff to bring it to pass. And now you have the means to pay all your future purchases. Wouldn't you be excited about that? Wouldn't you jump for joy with that? Wouldn't you go and tell everybody about that? That's what God has done, even more so. Much more than any human analogy. He cleansed our debts. And then he's empowered us to live debt-free lives moving forward. That's the power of the gospel. That's what will transform this world. That's what will transform hearts. That's what will transform minds. That will be desirable. People are interested in a pretended righteousness. Well, just pretend like you're forgiven. But yeah, you're going to continue to make mistakes. You're going to continue to fall. Well, who needs that? <laughs> They're doing that without God. Who needs God to do, just continue to fall and continue to try? That's not the gospel. The gospel sets us free. And empowers us and changes us and transforms us. And that's what the world needs. That's why the world's standards keep coming lower and lower. They say, we can't do this, we can't do this, we can't. So we'll just accept all our carnal heart and our carnal living. We'll just let it be. And so-called God's people are going along with it. No, but a true understanding of the gospel. That the debts are gone. And now we have more than enough means to meet every need. We go forward in faith. And that is the message the world needs to hear. That is a message that will enlighten this world with God's glory. As a message that'll transform individual lives, transform families, transform communities, transform this world, and prepare for the Lord's coming, making us fit for heaven so that he can come and open the doors to heaven. And that's why we're not home yet, because we're not fit for heaven yet. So he can't let us in because we won't enjoy it. We would just destroy it all over again. So he's waiting until he has a bride who's without spot, without wrinkle. Not pretended, not just covered up, but that her robe has been made white in the blood of the Lamb. 
virgin, purified, ready for her bride. That's what God's looking for. That's what he wants to do in our lives today. And so if you know someone who needs to hear that, the moment when we pray, ask God to give you boldness to share this with everyone you come in contact with. Just as if, and even more so, than if all your debts were gone and you were trained and empowered in a high-paying job. Because that's what God's doing. And much more so. Let us pray. Our Lord, our God, you are God, good beyond all comprehension. You're better than all we can ask or think. What you have done and are doing, what you've given to us, what you're offering to us, we just give you honor and glory and praise. Give us more faith to accept it. Give us more boldness to share it. Live it out in us and through us. May the world see you in us. Thank you for removing our sins. Thank you, Yeshua, for dying for us and taking us with you. Thank you for killing our old natures. Thank you for giving us your, whole, your spirit. Holy Spirit, come into us. Live out your divine life in us. Give us your divine nature and set us free from the corruptions of this world and live your life in us and out of us. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.